chapter five part one of the conquest of new france by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five part one the great west in days before the railway had made possible a bulky commerce by overland routes rivers furnished the chief means of access to inland regions the fame of the ganges the euphrates the nile and the danube shows the part which great rivers have played in history of north america's four greatest river systems the two in the far north have become known in times so recent that their place in history is not yet determined one of them the mackenzie a mighty stream some two thousand miles long flows into the arctic ocean through what remains chiefly a wilderness the waters of the other the saskatchewan discharge into hudson bay more than a thousand miles from their source flowing through rich prairie land which is still but scantily peopled on the saskatchewan as on the remaining two systems the st lawrence and the mississippi the french were the pioneers though to-day the regions drained by these four rivers are dominated by the rival race the story which we now follow is one of romantic enterprise in which the honours are with france more perhaps by accident than by design had the french been the first to settle on the st lawrence fishing vessels had hovered round the entrance to the gulf of st lawrence for years before in fifteen thirty five the french sailor jacques cartier advanced up the river as far as the foot of the torrential rapids where now stands the city of montreal cartier was seeking a route to the far east he half believed that this impressive waterway drained the plains of china and that around the next bend he might find the busy life of an oriental city the time came when it was known that a great sea lay between america and asia and the mystery of the pathway to this sea long fascinated the pioneers of the st lawrence canada was a colony a trading post a mission the favourite field of jesuit activity but it was also the land which offered by way of the st lawrence a route leading illimitably westward to the far east one other route rivalled the st lawrence in promise and that was the mississippi the two rivers are essentially different in their approaches and in type the mouth of the st lawrence opens directly towards europe and of all american rivers lies nearest to the seafaring peoples of europe since it flows chiefly in a rocky bed its course changes little its waters are clear and they become icy cold as they approach the sea and mingle with the tide which flows into the great gulf of st lawrence from the arctic regions the mississippi on the other hand is a turbid warm stream flowing through soft lands its shifting channel is divided at its mouth by deltas created from the vast quantity of soil which the river carries in its current on the low-lying forest-clad northern shore of the gulf of mexico it was not easy to find the mouth of the mississippi by approaching it from the sea the voyage there from france was long and difficult and moreover spain claimed the lands bordering on the gulf of mexico and declared herself ready to drive out all intruders nature it is clear dictated that if france was to build up her power in the interior of the new world it was the valley of the st lawrence which she should first occupy 
time has shown the riches of the lands drained by the st lawrence on no other river system in the world is there now such a multitude of great cities the modern traveller who advances by this route to the sources of the river beyond the great lakes surveys wonders ever more impressive before his view appear in succession quebec montreal toronto buffalo cleveland detroit chicago duluth and many other cities and towns with millions in population and an aggregate of wealth so vast as to stagger the imagination step by step had the french advanced from quebec to the interior champlain was on lake huron in sixteen fifteen and there the jesuits soon had a flourishing mission to the huron indians they had only to follow the shore of lake huron to come to the st mary's river bearing towards the sea the chilly waters of lake superior on this river a much frequented fishing ground of the natives they founded the mission of st marie du sault farther to the south on the narrow opening connecting lake huron and lake michigan grew up the post known as michilimackinac it was then inevitable that explorers and missionaries should press on into both lake superior and lake michigan by the time that frontenac came first to canada in sixteen seventy two the french had a post called st esprit on the south shore of lake superior near its western end and they had also passed westward from lake michigan and founded posts on both the illinois and the wisconsin rivers which flow into the mississippi france had placed on record her claim to the whole of the great west on a june morning in sixteen seventy one there had been a striking scene at st marie du sault the french had summoned a great throng of indians to the spot there with impressive ceremony st lucon an officer from canada had set up a cedar post on which was a plate engraved with the royal arms and proclaimed louis the fourteenth lord of all the indian tribes and of all the lands rivers and lakes discovered and to be discovered in the region stretching from the atlantic to that other mysterious sea beyond the spreading lands of the west henceforth at their peril would the natives disobey the french king or other states encroach upon these his lands a jesuit priest followed st lucent with a description to the savages of their new lord the king of france he was master of all the other rulers of the world at his word the earth trembled he could set earth and sea on fire by the blaze of his cannon the priest knew the temper of his savage audience and told of the king's warriors covered with the blood of his enemies of the rivers of blood which flowed from their wounds of the king's countless prisoners of his riches and his power so great that all the world obeyed him the savages gave delighted shouts at the strange ceremony but of its real meaning they knew nothing what they understood was that the french seemed to be good friends who brought them muskets hatchets cloth and especially the love but destructive fire-water which the savage palate ever craved the mystery of the great lakes once solved there still remained that of the western sea the st lawrence flowed eastward another river must therefore be found flowing westward the french were eager listeners when the savages talked of a mighty river in the west flowing to the sea they meant as we now suppose the mississippi there are vague stories of frenchmen on the mississippi at an earlier date but however this may be it is certain that in the summer of sixteen seventy three louis joliet the son of a wagon-maker of quebec and jacques marquette a jesuit priest reached and descended the great river from the mouth of the wisconsin 
to a point far past the mouth of the ohio france thus planted herself on the mississippi though there her occupation was less complete and thorough than it was on the st lawrence distance was an obstacle it was a far cry from quebec by land and from france the voyage by sea through the gulf of mexico was hardly less difficult the explorer la salle tried both routes in sixteen eighty one to sixteen eighty two he set out from montreal reached the mississippi overland and descended to its mouth two years later he sailed from france with four ships bound for the mouth of the river there to establish a colony but before achieving his aim he was murdered in a treacherous attack led by his own countrymen it was pierre le moyne sieur d'iberville who first made good francis claim to the mississippi he reached the river by sea in sixteen ninety nine and descended to a point some eighty miles beyond the present city of new orleans farther east on biloxi bay he built fort maurepas and planted his first colony spain disliked this intrusion but spain soon to be herself ruled as france then was by a bourbon king did not prove irreconcilable and slowly france built up a colony in the south it was in seventeen eighteen that iberville's brother jean baptiste le moyne sieur de bienville founded new orleans destined to become in time one of the great cities of north america its beginnings were not propitious the historian Charlevoix describes it as being in seventeen twenty one a low-lying malarious place infested by snakes and alligators and consisting of a hundred wretched hovels in spite of this dreary outlook it was still true that france planted at the mouth of the mississippi controlled the greatest waterway in the world soon she had scattered settlements stretching northward to the ohio and the missouri the one river reaching eastward almost to the waters of the st lawrence system the other flowing out of the western plains from its source in the rocky mountains the old mystery however remained for the mississippi flowed into the gulf of mexico into atlantic waters already well known the route to the western sea was still to be found it was easy enough for france to record a sweeping claim to the west but to make good this claim she needed a chain of posts which should also be forts linking the mississippi with the st lawrence and strong enough to impress the indians whose country she had invaded at first she had reached the interior by way of the ottawa river and lake huron and in that northern country her position was secure enough through her posts on the upper lakes the route farther south by lake ontario and lake erie was more difficult the iroquois menaced niagara and long refused to let france have a footing there to protect her pathway to lake erie and the ohio valley it was not until seventeen twenty a period comparatively late that the french managed to have a fort at the mouth of the niagara on the detroit river the next strategic point on the way westward they were established earlier just after frontenac died in sixteen ninety eight la mothe cadillac urged that there should be built on this river a fort and town which might be made the centre of all the trading interests west of lake erie and the folly he urged of going still farther afield among the indians and teaching them the french language and french modes of thought leave the indians to live their own type of life to hunt and to fish they need european trade and they have valuable furs to exchange encourage them to come to the french at detroit and see that they go nowhere else by not allowing any other posts in the western country 
cadillac was himself a keen if secret participant in the profits of the fur trade and hoped to be placed in command at detroit and there to become independent of control from quebec detroit was founded in seventeen o one and though for a long time it did not thrive the fact that on the site has grown up one of the great industrial cities of modern times shows that cadillac had read aright the meaning of the geography of north america when france was secure at niagara and at detroit two problems still remained unsolved one was that of occupying the valley of the ohio the waters of which flow westward almost from the south shore of lake erie until they empty into the vaster flood of the mississippi here there was a lion in the path for the english claimed this region as naturally the hinterland of the colonies of virginia and pennsylvania what happened on the ohio we shall see in a later chapter the other great problem to be followed here was to explore the regions which lay beyond the mississippi these spread into a remote unknown unexplored by the white man and might ultimately lead to the western sea we might have supposed that france's farther adventure into the west would have been from the mississippi up its great tributary the missouri which flows eastward from the eternal snows of the rocky mountains always however the uncertain temper of the many indian tribes in this region made the advance difficult the tribes inhabiting the west bank of the mississippi were especially restless and savage the sioux in particular made life perilous for the french at their posts near the mouth of the missouri it thus happened that the white man first reached the remoter west by way of regions farther north it became easy enough to coast along the north and the south shore of lake superior easy enough to find rivers which fed the great system of the st lawrence or of the mississippi these however would not solve the mystery a river flowing westward was still to be sought thus both in pursuit of the fur trade and in quest of the western sea the french advanced westward from lake superior where now stands the city of fort william there flows into lake superior the little stream called still by its indian name of caministiquia there the french had long maintained a trading post from which they made adventurous journeys northward and westward the rugged region still farther north had already been explored at least in outline there lay the great inland sea known as hudson bay french and english had long disputed for its mastery by sixteen seventy the english had found trade to hudson bay so promising that they then created the hudson's bay company which remains one of the great trading corporations of the world with the english on hudson bay new france was between english on the north and english on the south and did not like it on hudson bay the english showed the same characteristics which they had shown in new england they were not stirred by vivid imaginings of what might be found westward beyond the low-lying coast of the great inland sea they came for trade planted themselves at the mouths of the chief rivers unpacked their goods and waited for the natives to come to barter with them for many years the natives came since they must have the knives hatchets and firearms of europe to share this profitable trade the french now going overland to the north from quebec now sailing into hudson bay by the straits attacked the english and on those dreary waters long before the great west was known there had been many a naval battle many a hand-to-hand -hand fight for forts and their rich prize of furs the chief french hero in this struggle was that son of charles le moyne of montreal pierre le moyne d'iberville who ended his days in the task of founding the french colony of louisiana he was perhaps the most notable of all the adventurous leaders whom new france produced he was first on hudson bay in the late summer 
of sixteen eighty six and a party of about a hundred men led by the chevalier de troyes who had marched overland from quebec through the wilderness the english on the bay with a charter from king charles the second the friend of the french and in a time of profound peace under his successor thought themselves secure they now had however a rude awakening in the dead of night the frenchmen fell upon fort hayes captured its dazed garrison and looted the place the same fate befell all the other english posts on the bay iberville gained a rich store of furs as his share of the plunder and returned with it to quebec in sixteen eighty seven just at this time when la salle that other pioneer of france was struck down in the distant south by a murderer's hand iberville was above all else a sailor the easiest route to hudson bay was by way of the sea more than once after his first experience he led to the bay a naval expedition his exploits are still remembered with pride in french naval annals in sixteen ninety seven he sailed the pelican through the ice-floes of hudson straits he was attacked by three english merchantmen with one hundred and twenty guns against his forty-four one of the english ships escaped one iberville sank with all on board one he captured that autumn the hardy corsair was in france with a great booty from the furs which the english had laboriously gathered the triumph of the french on hudson bay was short-lived their exploits though brilliant and daring were more of the nature of raids than attempts to settle and explore they did no more than the english to ascend the nelson or other rivers to find what lay beyond and in seventeen thirteen by the treaty of utrecht as we have already seen they gave up all claim to hudson bay and yielded that region to the english pierre gautier de varennes sieur de la vorandrie was a member of the canadian noblesse a son of the governor of three rivers on the st lawrence he was born in sixteen eighty five and had taken part in the border warfare of the days of queen anne he was a member of the raiding party led against new england by hertel de rouville in seventeen o four and may have been one of those who burst in on the little town of deerfield massachusetts and either butchered or carried off as prisoners most of the inhabitants shortly afterwards we find him a participant in warfare of a less ignoble type in seventeen o six he went to france and became an ensign in a regiment of grenadiers those were the days when marlborough was hammering and destroying the armies of louis the fourteenth la Vendrie took part in the last of the series of great battles the bloody conflict at malplaquet in seventeen o nine he received a bullet wound through the body was left for dead on the field fell into the hands of the enemy and for fifteen months was a captive on his release he was too poor to maintain himself as an officer in france and soon returned to canada where he served as an officer in a colonial regiment until the peace of seventeen thirteen then the ambitious young man recently married with a growing family and slight resources had to work out a career suited to his genius his genius was that of an explorer his task which fully occupied his alert mind was that of finding the long dreamed-of passage to the western sea the venture certainly offered fascinations noyon a fellow-townsman of la Varondria, at three rivers had brought back from the distant lake of the woods in seventeen sixteen a glowing account told to him by the natives of walled cities of ships and cannon and of white-bearded men who lived farther west in seventeen twenty the jesuit charlevoix already familiar with canada came out from france went to the mississippi country and reported that an attempt to find the path to the western sea might be made either by way of the missouri or farther north through the country of the sioux west of lake superior 
both routes involved going among warlike native tribes engaged in incessant and bloody struggles with each other and not unlikely to turn on the white intruder memorial after memorial to the french court for assistance resulted at last in serious effort but effort handicapped because the court thought that a monopoly of the fur trade was the only inducement required to promote the work of discovery le Varon was more eager to reach the western sea than he was to trade to outward seeming however he became just a fur trader and a successful one we find him in seventeen twenty six at the trading post of nipigon not far from the lake of that name near the north shore of lake superior from this point it was not very difficult to reach the shore of one great sea hudson bay but that was not the western sea which fired his imagination incessantly he questioned the savages with whom he traded about what lay in the unknown west his zeal was kindled anew by the talk of an indian named okagok this man said that he himself had been on a great lake lying west of lake superior that out of it flowed a river westward that he had paddled down this river until he came to water which as le Dia understood rose and fell like the tide farther to the actual mouth of the river the savage had not gone for fear of enemies but he had been told that it emptied into a great body of salt water upon the shores of which lived many people we may be sure that la Vaurandia read into the words of the savage the meaning which he himself desired and that in reality the indian was describing only the waters which flow into lake winnipeg la Vaurandia was all eagerness soon we find him back at quebec stirring by his own enthusiasm the zeal of the marquis de beauharnois the governor of canada and begging for help to pay and equip a hundred men for the great enterprise in the west the governor did what he could but was unable to move the french court to give money the sole help offered was a monopoly of the fur trade in the region to be explored a doubtful gift since angered all the traders excluded from the monopoly la Varondria, however was able by promising to hand over most of the profits to persuade merchants in montreal to equip him with the necessary men and merchandise there followed a period of high hopes and of heart-breaking failure in seventeen thirty one la set out for the west with three sons a nephew a jesuit priest the indian okagak as guide a party numbering in all about fifty he intended to build trading posts as he went westward and to make the last post always a base from which to advance still farther his difficulties read like those of columbus his men not only disliked the hard work which was inevitable but were haunted by superstitious fears of malignant fiends in the unknown land who were ready to punish the invaders of their secrets the route lay across the rough country beyond lake superior there were many long portages over which men must carry the provisions and heavy stores for trade at length the party reached rainy lake and out of rainy lake the waters flowed westward the country seemed delightful fish and game were abundant and it was not hard to secure a rich store of furs on the shore of the lake in a charming meadow surrounded by oak trees la Varondria built a trading post on waters flowing to the west naming it fort st pierre the voyageurs could now travel westward with the current it is certain that other frenchmen had preceded them in that region but this is the first voyage of discovery of which we have any details escorted by an imposing array of fifty canoes of indians la Varondria floated down rainy river to the lake of the woods and here on a beautiful peninsula jutting out into the lake he built another post fort st charles it must have seemed imposing to the natives on walls one hundred feet square were four bastions and a watch-tower evidence of the perennial need of alertness and strength in the indian country 
there were a chapel houses for the commandant and the priest a powder magazine a storehouse and other buildings la Derangerie cleared some land and planted wheat and was thus the pioneer in the mighty wheat production of the west fish and game were abundant and the outlook was smiling by this time the second winter of la Varandria's adventurous journeying was near but even the cold of that hard region could not chill his eagerness he himself waited at fort st charles but his eldest son jean baptiste set out to explore still farther we may follow with interest the little group of frenchmen and indian guides as they file on snowshoes along the surface of the frozen river or over the deep snow of the silent forest on ever on to the west they are the first white men of whom we have certain knowledge to press beyond the lake of the woods into that great northwest so full of meaning for the future the going was laborious and the distances seemed long for on their return they reported that they had gone a hundred and fifty leagues though in truth the distance was only a hundred and fifty miles then at last they stood on the shores of a vast body of water ice-bound and forbidding as it lay in the grip of winter it opened out illimitably westward but it was not the western sea for its waters were fresh the shallow waters of lake winnipeg empty not into the western sea but into the atlantic by way of hudson bay its shores then were deserted and desolate and even to this day they are but scantily peopled in that wild land there was no hint of the populous east of which la Varandria had dreamed at the mouth of the winnipeg river where it enters lake winnipeg la Varandria built fort maurepas named after the french minister who was in charge of the colonies and who was influential at court the name no doubt expresses some clinging hope which la Verandria still cherished of obtaining help from the king already he was hard pressed for resources where were the means to come from for this costly work of building forts from time to time he sent eastward canoes laden with furs which after a long and difficult journey reached montreal the traders to whom the furs were consigned sold them and kept the money as their own on account of their outlay la Varandria in the far interior could not pay his men and would soon be without goods to trade with the indians after having repeatedly begged for help but in vain he made a rapid journey to montreal and implored the governor to aid an enterprise which might change the outlook of the whole world the governor was willing but without the consent of france could not give help by promising the traders who were now partners in his monopoly profits of one hundred per cent on their outlay la Varandria at last secured what he needed his canoes were laden with goods and soon brawny arms were driving once again the graceful craft westward he had offered a new hostage to fortune by arranging that his fourth son a lad of eighteen should follow him in the next year la Verandria pressed on eagerly in advance of the heavy laden canoes grim news met him soon after he reached fort st charles on the lake of the woods his nephew la germeraya a born leader of men who was at the most advanced station for Morapah, on lake winnipeg had broken down from exposure anxiety and overwork and had been laid in a lonely grave in the wilderness nearly all pioneer work is a record of tragedy and its gloom lies heavy on the career of la Varandria. a little later came another sorrow-laden disaster la Varandria sent his eldest son jean back to rainy lake to hurry the canoes to montreal which were bringing needed food the party landed on a peninsula at the discharge of rainy lake into rainy river fell into an ambush of sioux indians and were butchered to a man this incident reveals the chief cause of the slow progress in discovery in the great west the temper of the savages was always uncertain there is no sign that la Varandria wavered in his great hope even when he realized that the winnipeg river was not the river flowing westward which he sought 
we know now that the northern regions of the american continent east of the rocky mountains are tilted towards the east and the north and that in all its vast spaces there is no great river which flows to the west la verandria however ignorant of this dictate of nature longed to paddle with the stream towards the west the red river flows from the south into lake winnipeg at a point near the mouth of the winnipeg river up the red river went la verandria and found a tributary the assanina Boeing, flowing into it from the west at the point of juncture where has grown up the city of winnipeg he built a tiny fort called fort rouge a name still preserved in a suburb of the modern winnipeg the explorers went southward to the red river and then went westward on the assiniboine river only to find the waters persistently flowing against them and no definite news of other waters leading to the western sea on the assiniboine near the site of the present town of portage la prairie in manitoba la verandria built for la Reine. its name is evident still perhaps of hopes for aid through the queen if not through the king of france in seventeen thirty seven la verandria made once more the long journey to montreal his fourteen canoes laden with furs were in earnest of the riches of the wonderful west and so pleased his montreal partners that again they fitted him out with adequate supplies in the summer of seventeen thirty eight we find him at fort la Reine, rich for the moment in goods with which to trade keen and competent as a trader and having great influence with the natives all through the west he found indians who went to trade with the english on hudson bay and he constantly urged them not to take the long journey but to depend upon the french who came into their own country it was a policy well fitted to cause searching of heart among the english traders who seemed so secure in their snug quarters on the seashore waiting for the indians to come to them la verandria had now a fresh plan for penetrating farther on his alluring quest he had heard of a river to the south to be reached by a journey overland it was a new thing for him to abandon canoes and march on foot but this he now did and with winter approaching on october sixteenth seventeen thirty eight when the autumn winds were already chill there was a striking little parade at fort la Reine. the drummer beat the garrison to arms what with soldiers brought from canada the voyageurs who had paddled the great canoes and the indians who dogged always the steps of the french traders there was a muster at the fort of some scores of men la verandria reviewed the whole company and from them chose for his expedition twenty soldiers and voyageurs and about twenty assiniboine indians as companions for himself he took francois and pierre two of his three surviving sons and two traders who were at the fort we can picture the little company setting out on the eighteenth of october on foot with some semblance of military order by a well-beaten trail leading across the high land which separates the red river country from the regions to the southwest la verandria had heard much of a people the mandans dwelling in well-ordered villages on the banks of a great river and cultivating the soil instead of living the wandering life of hunters such wonders of madame culture had been reported to la verandria that he half expected to find them white men with a civilization equal to that of europe the river was in reality not an unknown stream as la verandria hoped but the missouri a river already frequented by the french in its lower stretches where its waters joined those of the mississippi it was a long march over the prairie la verandria found that he could not hurry his indian guides they insisted on delays during days of glorious autumn weather when it would have been wise to press on and avoid the winter cold on the wind-swept prairie they went out of their way to visit a village of their own assiniboine tribe and when they resumed their journey this whole village followed them the prairie indians had a more developed sense of order and discipline than the tribes of the forest 
la verandria admired the military regularity of the savages on the march they divided the company of more than six hundred into three columns in front scouts to look out for an enemy and also for herds of buffalo in the centre well protected the old and the lame all those incapable of fighting and for a rear-guard strong fighting men when buffalo were seen the most active of the fighters rushed to the front to aid in hemming in the game women and dogs carried the baggage the men condescending to bear only their weapons not until cold december had come did the party reach the chief mandan village it was in some sense imposing for the indian lodges were arranged neatly in streets and squares and the surrounding palisade was strong and well built around the fort was a ditch fifteen feet deep and of equal width which made the village impregnable in indian warfare after saluting the village with three volleys of musket fire la Varandria marched in with great ceremony under the french flag only to discover that the mandans were not greatly unlike the assiniboines and other indians of the west whom he already knew the men went about naked and the women nearly so they were skilled in dressing leather they were also cunning traders for they duped la Varandria's friends the assiniboines and cheated them out of their muskets ammunition kettles and knives great eaters were the mandans they cultivated abundant crops and stored them in cave cellars every day they brought their visitors more than twenty dishes cooked in earth and pottery of their own handicraft there was incredible feasting which la Varandria avoided but which his sons enjoyed the mandan language he could not understand and close questioning as to the route to the western sea was thus impossible he learned enough to discredit the vague tales of white men in armour and people towns with which his lying guides had regaled him in the end he decided for the time being to return to fort Lorrain and to leave two of his followers to learn the mandan language so that in the future they might act as interpreters when he left the mandan village on the thirteenth of december he was already ill and it is a wonder that he did not perish from the cold on the wintry journey across hill and prairie in all my life i have never he says endured such misery from illness and fatigue as on that journey on the eleventh of february he was back at fort la Rain, worn out and broken in health but still undaunted and resolved never to abandon his search abandoned it he never did End of chapter five part one